has given me a word for you all here today. For each and every one of you, you're not here on an accident. The Lord has given me a word for you. And I believe if we have an expectancy and faith in what the Lord is going to do in this service, we're going to see great things. Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to me the book of Acts, 26th chapter. I want to say thank you to my bishop and everyone who entrusted me to be able to preach this morning. Thank you for this opportunity. It's my greatest privilege in life outside of my wife and following Christ to be able to preach. Amen. Acts chapter 26. And we're going to start reading at verse 24. I'm going to give a little context before we start reading. Paul was standing before people of power and authority in this scripture that we're about to read. He was standing before three people that's mentioned. Festus, Bernice, and a king named Agrippa. These were all important people, people of power in the Roman Empire. And uh, he had appealed to be judged by Caesar. He was, he was thrown in jail, and there was this whole situation going on with Paul where they were trying to condemn him and, and so forth. And Paul, since he was a citizen of Rome, he appealed to Caesar and said, you know, I want to give my case to Caesar, to the Romans. Because uh, he knew in the court of the Jews that there was persecution of Christianity, and, and he wanted to appeal to the Jews. I mean, to the Romans. So he had just given his testimony before we read what we're about to read here. And he told of what Christ had done for him. He told of his conversion, how he was once a sinner who had done a lot of really bad things and how Christ saved him. And now he preaches repentance. He preaches to the Gentiles and he preaches this word of God about the, the God he once persecuted. So starting at verse 24. And as he thus spake for himself, this is Paul that was speaking. Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. Basically, he's saying, Paul, you're crazy. But he said, I am not mad. I'm not crazy is what Paul said. Most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth in soberness. Paul said, I'm not lying. I'm not exaggerating. I'm speaking to you from a place of truth, and I'm speaking with soberness. For the king knoweth of these things before whom I also speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that you believe. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, King Agrippa, but also to all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am except these bonds. I love that. that Paul says, I wish you were a Christian too, except for the bonds you've got me in right now. Um, so I want to speak for a few moments on the power of truth, the power of truth. If you'll pray with me for a moment before we sit down. Lord, we thank you for your spirit that's already here. We thank you, God, for your word and the word that you're going to speak to this congregation this morning. We pray that it would not fall on the bad ground of our hearts, but it fall on the good ground. And it would be best for the edification of your saints, Lord, that we would leave here changed. We would leave here with a new out, with a new perspective on life, and that we would not leave here the way we came in. But let it all be done for thy name's sake. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord this morning. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, was standing before Herod Agrippa II. It's King Agrippa that we just read about. He was a man of much authority and stature. He was appointed the status of king as he was over much land and much people in this massive Roman Empire. King Agrippa was familiar with Jewish customs, beliefs, and thus Festus thought he would be able to more accurately judge the case of Paul because King Agrippa knew a lot about the Jewish beliefs and, and their faith. So just as a defendant stands before a jury, and a jury in a court of law today, Paul begins his case. Paul tells King Agrippa of his testimony, how he was once a man who persecuted the Christians. He once threw Christians into prison. He had them put to death. Paul 
was not always the Paul that we know him as. Paul tells King Agrippa how he was a sinner. But one day on a road to Damascus, Jesus came to him and his whole life changed forever. We've all had, I hope we've all had a road to Damascus moment. If not, this morning, you can have a road to Damascus moment in this service. Jesus came to him on that road to Damascus and his whole life was changed. His name was changed. His life was, was forever different. And those same people that he persecuted, he would become a prominent leader of and a champion of their doctrine. Paul preached repentance unto life. Paul continued in the apostles' doctrine and preached to others just as Peter preached on that first day in Acts when the Spirit fell. And as Paul was in the middle of speaking all this and talking to King Agrippa, Festus, he he interrupted him and said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. All that time you have spent in books and learning has made you crazy. I've learned that this stance of Festus has not really changed over the past 2,000 years. People still think those who have been filled with the Holy Ghost are crazy. That's just the nature of it. They still think that they're crazy. They still think that we're crazy. But Paul tells Festus, I'm not crazy, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. He's telling that I'm, I'm coming to you a place that I'm preaching truth. I'm not lying. I'm not puffed up. I'm not making things up. I'm not exaggerating anything, but I'm speaking to you truth. Paul said, what I have said here today is absolute truth. And I have preached the truth. Can I tell you this morning that there is power in the truth? The world we live in today is trying to change that. They've tried to change that word, truth, and what it means. A common expression that is heard across social media, schools, jobs, wherever you go, I'm sure, unfortunately, you've probably heard it, is is this expression known as my truth, quotation mark. Many use this as a way to dilute truth into something that can be changed or edited in order to best fit their agenda or lifestyle. However, I petition to you this morning that the concept of each of us having our own truth is unbiblical. There is no such thing as your truth or my truth, his truth, their truth. It's only the truth. There is only one truth. There is only one truth, and it's found right here in this word. There's not my truth. We can't edit it or change it to to find what's most applicable to us, what's most comfortable to us. It is only the truth. Amen. The truth is found in Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The truth is what the church stands on. The truth is what God put him, here's the truth that God put himself in flesh. He lived a perfect life for 33 years, enduring persecution, enduring temptations, having to remain perfect for 33 years, all that he could suffer all that he can endure suffering on behalf of sinners like you and me. He was beaten, broken, and bruised because of our sin, and he endured a cross as a perfect sacrifice so that me and you could be filled with his spirit. That is the truth. How are we filled with his spirit? In the book of Acts, after Peter just got done preaching the truth, a crowd of people asked him the same question. They said, how, how, how do we become saved? What do we need to do? And Peter told them the truth. Peter did not make up anything in this scenario. He, was, he, was, he had the disciples behind him. He had the people who had spent, he had spent time with Jesus and he knew exactly what he was saying. And he told them the steps that you would have to do in order to receive salvation, in order to receive the truth of what the prophets had spoken of in the Old Testament. He said that you have to repent. You have to be baptized in the name of Jesus. You have to receive the Holy Ghost. And then after truth was preached, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
That is the truth, church. This is what Paul preached. This is what has the power to change lives. There is power in that truth. There is power in the gospel of Jesus. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is the power. It is the power of salvation. Can we just take the next 10 seconds and just praise God for truth? Praise God that he has given us a way out. Praise God that we don't have to live in sin and in bondage, but we can be filled with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Paul preaches the truth of Jesus to this powerful King Agrippa in this passage we read. And the king responds with that infamous line. You may have heard it. Maybe it's your first time. It's a great, it's a great line to listen to because it tells us a lot. He says, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. You almost persuade me to be a Christian. One thing we must understand to better understand the gravity of the statement that King Agrippa said is that the term Christian did not mean what it means today when King Agrippa said it. The term Christian, just like the word truth, has unfortunately been diluted to mean whatever we want it to mean. Anyone can be given the label a Christian today, regardless of their beliefs or lifestyle. However, in this time, the Jews and Romans would call people like Paul Christians as a derogatory term. It was scornful. That is where that word came from. Christians were people who were known as giving much of their possession to God, people who often suffered and were persecuted for their beliefs. They lived in the world, but they practiced holiness and refrained from doing what the majority would do. Those were the Christians who were persecuted, who were martyred, who were killed for what they believed, and they stood on something, and they stood on the truth. That's what Christianity was. So when King Agrippa says, you almost persuade me to be a Christian, it should not be taken lightly, because King Agrippa was sitting in the finest clothes. A man of many riches and power and authority. He could have anything he wanted as he was king over an area in perhaps the greatest empire to ever, to ever be on earth outside of God's empire. Something Paul said about Jesus while he was speaking to this great king on the fence between the easy life and the life that Paul is living. Something that Paul said in his, in his, in his speech, and his sermon you could call it, has caused this king that has all those things I just mentioned to begin to question on whether or not he wants to stay in this chair or switch places with Paul. You see the gravity of what he said whenever he said, you almost persuade me to be one of those people that are being persecuted right now? You almost persuade me to be where you're at right now, Paul? What in the world could cause a man of Agrippa's stature to consider such a seemingly outlandish trade of his life for Paul's life? What could do it? There's only one thing, and it's the truth. The truth has power. The gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful. It has the power to save, has the power to change lives, the power to heal the brokenhearted, the power to break bondage and sin and addiction, and there is power in that truth, and that's the only thing that could convince someone like Agrippa in the world today that there's a better life out there. First Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all exception, that Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. That is the truth, that Christ died for us. He died for us while we were yet sinners. Not because we would be great. He died for us because when we were at our lowest, because he loves us that much. Now, you may be wondering, if there is power in the truth like I really say there is, if there's truly this power that I'm mentioning, then why did I choose this story in the Bible? Why would I choose a story about a king who heard the truth, yet there is not an indication that he was truly changed? 
It's a good question. I'm glad you asked. I could have chosen stories like the Ethiopian eunuch who was saved after the truth was preached to him, the house of Cornelius and the Gentiles after the truth was preached, they were filled with the Holy Ghost, or, or Lydia in Acts chapter 16 who hears the truth and was baptized and the house was baptized with her. I could have, I could have used any of those stories for this sermon, but there is a reason I use this story of King Agrippa. Because the story of King Agrippa shows a principle that began with the very first human that was ever created all the way to me and you today. And that principle is that God never forces anyone to love him. If you're waiting on God to force you into a relationship, you're going to be waiting a long time. It's not going to happen. God never forces anyone to love him, to follow him, to to step out of their comfort zone and, and to get to a place where he can do a work in their life. He will never force you. He'll, he'll, if it was a dinner, he would get all the ingredients together. He, he would cook it perfectly. He would, he would make the table all nice and he would lay it at your lap. But it is up to you as whether or not you're gonna partake or not. It's ultimately up to us. There's no doubting that what King Agrippa heard that day was powerful truth that caused him to contemplate change. King Agrippa had studied the Jewish religion, so he must have been familiar with the prophets testifying of a Messiah. He probably read in Isaiah that it talks about a suffering servant. He knew of all these things, and he had heard Paul's testimony that that Jesus that they persecuted was that person that was prophesied. He had heard that, but King Agrippa was not forced to make the right decision, even though he knew truth was just preached to him. He was not forced to. An old preacher named James Kilgore I recommend you search him up. He preached a sermon about this many years ago, and he stated like this. King Agrippa was between stirred and changed. His life was stirred. He felt something within him stir him, but he was in between stirred and changed. Right or wrong, the decision was up to King Agrippa. The message was right. The truth was there. Power was there. Conviction was there, but ultimately King Agrippa changes up to you. Perhaps it was the comfort of his position, the power he possessed, the social status he would never dare to put in jeopardy, whatever it was that he held on to. I can guarantee you today that it was not worth it in the end. I guarantee you that whatever holds you back from running after Christ and becoming a true Christian and having a relationship with him, whatever's holding you back, it is never, ever, ever going to be worth it. Never. Amen. I'm wrapping up. In about four minutes, I'll be done, musicians. Four minutes. One of my favorite days of the year when I was a young boy was a day called field day. I don't know if field day still exists. It may be gone now, does it? Okay, field day still is a thing. Good to know. I'm not sure, you know, where it started, where it came from, but I like to call it the, the Olympics for little kids. I loved it. We would be split into teams. I remember that I, for whatever reason, I think it's because my last name was, was Underwood and it's like towards the back, so we get like the colors nobody likes. So I was the yellow team. Um, Every year, I don't know why, but I was always yellow team whenever it came to field day. But I love field day so much. I love the competition. At the end of the day, there would be one team that would win all these little competitions. Whoever wins the most, you know, is the winner of field day. They'd be crowned the victor. But the thing I loved most about field day wasn't even, you know, 90% of the games or, or the reward that you would get for winning. There was one game in particular I loved. I don't know why I loved it so much, but I did. It, it's tug of war. You know, common game. Kids probably don't play it these days, do they? Maybe. Tug of war was my favorite game. And I had a technique when it came to tug of war. I thought I was so smart with this technique. And then I realized later on in life that literally everybody does this, but I thought I was the person who invented it. And I had this technique. Let's see if this rope will work with me here. Sorry, guys. Not the best rope. Well, it's not the rope's fault. It's my fault. So... 
had this rope, and, and there was teams that would get on both ends if you never played, and that tie in the middle is this middle mark. And you would have to pull this rope against the other team, and whoever would have that tie cross a certain line, they would be crowned the winner. That's how the game worked. And I had my little technique where I, I would get into the very back. I ran to be the caboose. I wanted to be at the very back. That was my position. Every year I had to get there. And I'd wrap the rope around both my hands like this, and, and I would plant my heels in the ground really, 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 you know, hard into the ground. You weren't allowed to wear cleats, so... Uh, I'd plant my heels into the ground, and right when the person blew the whistle, I would turn my body, and I would put it over my shoulder, and I would just start running the other way. I'd be running in place, but that's, I love that game so much, and the thing that was, you know, interesting about tug-of-war, that it doesn't matter if this comes close to the line, almost crosses the line. All that matters is if it crosses the line. And the thing about tug-of-war is, is there will be a time where this side will begin to pull really hard, and then all of a sudden the other side just musters up all their strength, and they begin to pull really hard. And it would get close to that line, and it would just go back and forth like a war. And it didn't matter if it got almost to the line. All that mattered for the winning team was if it crossed. That's all that mattered. Almost doesn't count in tug-of-war. I found that interesting. Because I wish I could stand here and tell you that in my life, I've had a perfect life. I wish I really could. I wish I could tell you that I always wanted to go to church, that I was never forced to go to church in my life, and that I always lived a perfect life with God. But unfortunately, I can't tell you that. And I know there's been some times in my life that I would go to church, and I would sit on the pew, and it's crazy. It's like these preachers hear from God or something, and they would begin to preach, and it's like they were preaching to me. It felt like nobody else was in the sanctuary. I don't know if you've ever had that happen before, but where it just feels like the preacher's been reading your mail and he just preaches something that you need to hear right now in your life. And he would preach things that would cut me. They would convict me like Paul did for King Agrippa. They would cut something in me like it did in the book of Acts where it says it pricked their hearts. Something in me would begin to feel a pull, begin to feel something in my life. But I would out of ignorance, just plant my feet in the ground just like I was a little kid again. I would plant my feet and I would get in my position. I would grab that rope that was attached to my heart and I would begin to pull back. But what I didn't see on the other side of that rope when that preacher was preaching truth was that God was on the other end of that rope and he was just tugging. So he could have easily pulled it and won, easily. But he will never do that it's up to us and he would begin to tug on that rope and say I know you're not where you're supposed to be right now I know that that, that you've run away from home and I know that that you're not living the life I've called you to and I know you're running from a calling on your life but I still love you and he'd begin to tug he'd begin to tug and I begin to pull back he says there's a calling on your life there's something better for you out there I know you're struggling with that sin but I can deliver you from that there's power in me begin to fight and have a tug-of-war match with God. But there's power in the truth, church. And the thing about God is he won't give up on you. You will run. You can be like Jonah and you can run from the calling on your life. You can run from salvation. You can, he'll let you, but at the end of the day, just like the good father in the story of the prodigal, he'll be at home waiting for you. He'll be waiting to see you come over that horizon and run back to him and he'll run to you. He's the good father. You can stand with me this morning. 
and he loves you and he has given you truth he has given you the gospel but he will not force you to make the right decision it is ultimately up to you as if as if you're going to receive the holy ghost if you're, if you're gonna pursue that calling that you know is on your life, but you wanna keep hiding it and, and saving it for later in life, he's not gonna force you to do it. He's not gonna force you into a relationship, but he's just gonna stay at the under the end of that rope and just keep tugging and saying, there's more for you and you know it. I'm telling you, the best life is to let him pull you, is to let him win. Let him take you, surrender everything to him. That is the best life. That is the right decision. That is what will lead to your life changing. You don't have to leave here holding on to the rope anymore. There is a better life. So we can either be like King Agrippa and find ourselves almost changed, or we can be like they were in the book of Acts where they said, what do I need to do? What do you need me to do to be saved? What do I need to do to be filled with the Holy Ghost? And after they asked that question, the spirit fell. Lives were changed. We're here now because of them. It's up to you this morning. I can't force you. God won't force you. It's up to you. Why don't we find a place to pray? These altars are open this morning. I believe that God is pulling on some of the ropes of your heart, that you have felt the call of God. You have felt the call to salvation. You have felt the call to more. You can pray wherever you're at. You can come to the altar. It doesn't matter. But God is calling some of us to deeper things this morning. God is calling some of us to salvation. He's calling us to do things for him. But we plan our feet and we hold on to the rope. This morning, let go. This morning, surrender. This morning, there's a better life for you. Don't leave here the same way.